is Palm Sunday. And, uh, you know, as we prepare to celebrate this week, it's, uh, we have a lot of reminders. God's really big about giving us reminders of things because he knows how quickly we forget. So it's not about a rubber band on your wrist that you flick or, you know, tying strings around your finger. God has uh, things like uh, celebrating communion together. He has things about holidays or holy days, times that we are called to remind ourselves about what God is doing. Well, I want to give you a little bit of background as, before we jump into the message today about Palm Sunday and what was going on that day. Because there were two forces at work. One was that of the crowds who were looking for a leader to revolt, uh, again, help them to revolt against Rome and Rome's uh, authority over them. And then there was the other side of uh, Rome was looking for anybody who would be a threat to Rome, and they would try to eliminate them. Uh, the, the Jews believed that the Messiah would be the one who could beat Rome. And, and if you were crucified, then you couldn't be the Messiah, because there had been 18 who had declared to be the Messiah, but they were all dead, and none of them were raised from the dead. So Jesus gave his life, but he was set apart because after three days, he didn't stay in the group, in the grave, but he's raised from the dead. That's what we celebrate this week. So when Jesus came, he would say, the kingdom of God has come. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Everybody was hearing something different. It's really not a whole lot different today. If you're talking about the kingdom of God, People have various understandings of what the kingdom of God is within. But Paul knew this. The kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteous peace and joy. That the kingdom of God is the rule of God within. No longer simply the laws that are external, but the law that is now internalized and we become led by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray before we begin this morning. Father, we thank you that as we come today that uh, we... We drink fully from the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the teacher and that you will breathe on the living word of God today, bring revelation to us, freshness of your word to each one of us. We don't live by old bread, we live by fresh bread, new bread, living bread today. And we thank you that you make all things new and you've made us new and your word is fresh and new every day. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When Jesus announced a new kingdom, Rome paid attention and the religious establishment paid attention because it was a threat to both of those. And Jesus was never uh, going to accept the title of king until such time as he submits to Pilate and then declares really his own life sentence. But, you know, it was always God's plan to be their king. You know, back in the book of Samuel, we see the story of a people who uh, rebel against God, and they say, we want a king like every other nation. And Samuel gets upset, and God says, don't worry about it, Samuel. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. It's much better to have God as your king. And then he goes ahead and says to Samuel, you have to read this sometime, we won't take time on it this morning, but he says, Samuel, you just warn them what a king will do to them and how a king will act. And so he lists off all the kinds of things and 
you know, the king may protect them, but it comes at a cost. But Jesus actually becomes king. This great book by N.T. Wright, and he says, when God became king again. See, that's the issue. When we're born again, is Jesus really king? It's one thing to have him to be savior of our life. It's another thing for him to be Lord of our life. Because you don't say no to, a, to your Lord. Only yes will do. Lord means absolutely your ruler. Whatever you say goes. And that's a daily basis for us. And it's kind of hit and miss. We're not perfect at this. But the goal is to when we see that we missed it, just get right back on again and say, okay, we're back on track again. Holy Spirit, help me. Grace of God, help me. Enable me. Empower me. So we see... We see them looking for two things that were needed to condemn Jesus. Blasphemy, to turn the crowds against him because the crowds were for Jesus most of the time. And treason in order to get Pilate to crucify him. So those were the two things that the religious leaders were looking to do to uh, trap Jesus and get him into this place. Caesar um, claimed to be God and so on his coins it, it was written the son of God. And, and a devout Israelite would not even carry a coin that would have a graven image. But Rome considered religion uh, for the common good, that it was helpful. But Rome controlled religion. The high priest was chosen actually by Herod. And uh, once a year when they wanted to use the holy vestments for the sacrifice, they had to ask permission from Rome to use them. And so religion played a role as far as Rome was concerned. In Jesus' day, the question was, how will the kingdom of God come to earth? That's the big question. So when Jesus says, uh, repent, turn from your way, go to God's way, the kingdom of God is at hand, what does that mean? To the zealots, uh, they were looking to revolt. The zealots were the extreme nationalists. They intended to bring the kingdom of God by overthrowing Romans by any means possible, including violence. Then you had the, the uh, Essenes, and they decided to withdraw. They were the ones that withdrew into the caves. They wrote their, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. We see them. Uh, they were ones that said, it's too late. It's hopeless. Uh, Rome's corrupt. Religion's corrupt. Everybody's corrupt. We're, we're out of here, and we're not going to participate anymore. And then you had the Sadducees, and they decided to assimilate. So if you can't beat them, join them. And today sometimes we find ourselves in exactly the same place today. There's some who want to re rebel and protest everything. In fact, a friend of mine said that it's trendy to protest today. <laughs> it is, about everything and anything. And uh, social media gives everybody that ability to disagree. Um, it, it, it can bring people together, but more times than not, it brings them apart. And uh, other people that are are deciding to withdraw, and many times as Christians, we just withdraw, and we just kind of want to pretend everything's okay and hide our head in the sand and just don't want to participate anymore. And then there's people that just assimilate, and they just given up, and we look like and sound like everybody else. So really, there is a fourth option, and the fourth option is about faith. We could believe what Jesus said. But to do that, you have to change your paradigm. You have to change what you thought, what you've what you have been experienced, what you've been taught, perhaps. And, but faith is really 
at the core of the issue, do we trust God when we don't see anything happening, when we don't feel anything happening, we don't hear anything different, do we still believe that he is who he said he is? Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. Is that who he is? So three, three options, revolt, withdraw, or assimilate. But Jesus got in trouble with all three groups. <laughs> uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 10 story of the, the centurion who comes to Jesus over uh, sickness and, and disease of, of, a, of one of his children, and he in needs of Jesus to come and, and heal. And so Jesus said, I'll come to your house. And he, he goes, oh, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. You don't have to come to my house. All you have to do is speak a word. Speak a word, because I'm a man under authority of Rome, and if I speak to this one and say, go, he goes, and say, come, he comes. I understand how this works. And Jesus turned to the people around him, and he said, this is, this is great faith. Now, that was not a problem in itself. He's talking to a Roman soldier. He says, great faith, but then he adds this. I haven't seen this kind of faith anywhere in Israel. And everybody, <gasps> you can hear everybody suck breath. <laughs> he said, What? And then, you know, another instance, he's talking to the centurion, he's talking to the people about a centurion because the centurions could legally, by, by law, request that you carry their duffel bag and all their equipment for a mile. And Jesus said, if they ask you to carry it a mile, give them two. When somebody tries to take from you, give. That's what he says. When somebody tries to take something to you, I had a businessman at our church one time, and we were chatting, and and he had some uh, unpaid bills that people just had not paid, and they were kind of annoying. I said, well, are they going to make any difference? He says, no, quite simply, they're smaller ones, but they're just annoying because they won't close the account, and people just won't pay them. And I said, well, why don't you change kingdom on it? And he goes, what do, you, what do you mean? I said, well, why don't you just write a nice note and just say, um, this is how much is left on your, on your invoice, and I just want you to know I'm considering it paid in full. And change kingdom, because you're never going to get this anyways. And you know, he says, I know, and it's driving me crazy. I said, then give it to them. They're trying to take it from you, but just change kingdom and give it to them. Now you're just dealing with God. Because God will respect the giving. All right, God will respect the giving. And so um, when they do this and they make the, the centurion and the Roman soldier uh, not the problem, some people don't know what to do. There's another instance in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus is sitting at the table with tax collectors and sinners, and the religious people are, are getting upset because Jesus touched lepers, the untouchables. Uh, he, he broke all the rules. He, he would, he would uh, talk to the prostitutes, love on them. He would eat with sinners. He collect, got together with the tax collectors who were the worst of the worst. And the Essenes, the ones who wanted to withdraw, that was too much for them. Because this guy will touch and accept anybody. All these compromisers. Not that that ever happens today. Matthew chapter 22, verse 17. They came to Jesus one day and it says, He perceived their wickedness and their hypocrisy. And they said, Is it lawful to pay our taxes? And Jesus says, You got a coin in your pocket. Give me a coin. So one of them produces a coin and says, Whose, whose inscription's on this? They say Caesar, and Jesus simply responds to their question with a statement, what is Caesar's? Honor Caesar. What is God's? Give to God. He, he didn't pick sides. 
Everybody's always looking for us to pick sides. But see, that was a threat. He was a threat to them because he was a threat to their position to Rome. So they're trying to get him to speak against Rome so they have accusation against him to save their position with Rome. Which is why he was such a big threat. But Jesus wouldn't worship Caesar, but neither would he hate him either. One that Jesus called his disciple was Simon, the zealot. That was his background. Teamed him up with Matthew, the tax collector. We've got a real motley crew of disciples that are at totally opposite view, but what joins them together is their trust and their faith in God. I think that's the church every time we gather together. We gather from every background, every opinion. If we are trying to gather together and be united around opinion, it will never happen. But if we gather around Jesus and our faith in him, then we can stay united because it's by one spirit that we're made one in one body, that is Christ, joined together. Jesus answer when he was rejected or persecuted by people was to love them. That was his strategy. Keep loving people and inviting them to join his side. It wasn't this side or this side. There was another side. It's kind of like when you get married, you know, and you, you have him and her and you get married and there's another side now and it's not his or her. It's this new relationship that gets, that gets created when you say I do what gets created before is that new relationship, which is a combination of the two of you together, and now you can't do life her way, and you can't do life his way. You have to do life their way, our way, we now. Instead of I and me, it's us and we. And that's what Jesus always says. It's not your way or your way, it's my way. When, when Joshua was getting ready to take Jericho, and he's out on his own, and he's really seeking God, and, and there's this Big angel, like unto the Son of God, it says. And he draws his sword, and he says, and because this angel has a sword, and he says, are you for us or against us? And he responds, no, as neither. I come as a commander of the Lord's army. In other words, not am I with you, are you with me? Are you with me? Are you on, are you on my side? This is what Jesus always is saying. He says, I know about your side, I know about your side, I know about your side, and there are many sides. He just wants to know, are you with me? Are you with me? Jesus had a vision for God's kingdom of God above all nations and a God who was for all nations. At Easter, we celebrate the God who was king is now king again. The God who was their king, who they rejected because they wanted their own king, is now been made king again. After Easter, we celebrate he is king of kings and lord of lords. That's how we see him in the book of Revelations because he is now the king. When we are born again, we accept Jesus Christ, we make him king in our life. We make him lord. We say, you rule, you reign. You know, we, we say, okay, I'm, I am, I want to do my own things. Did anybody notice that when you got born again, you still wanted to do everything your way? Anybody notice that that didn't change? <laughs> you know, the only thing that helps us is if we fall in love with Jesus more and we want what Jesus wants more than what we want ourselves. That's the key to kingdom living. 
I want to talk to you today about the path of praise because the road to the cross led Jesus through the path of praise. In the, in the 19th book of Luke, we find Luke's account of Jesus. And he was on a mission, not a personal agenda. There were times that people wanted him to go to Jerusalem. He wouldn't go to Jerusalem. And this time, though, he says it's time to go to Jerusalem because it's now time. I need to be there. It's a mission. You know, we are called to live our life on mission, not just personal agenda. So he's in a village opposite of Bethany, and he's explained to his disciples. He says, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you'll see a, find a colt that's tied. This is uh, Luke 19 and verse 30, on which no one has ever sat, loose it and bring it here. Of course, that was prophesied of old that the Messiah would come on a colt that had never been ridden, and they're going to enter into the city. If anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Uh, thus you shall say to them, because the Lord has need of it. Okay, that's what we're supposed to say. We'll say that. So, off he goes. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the colt, the owners of it said, why are you loosening the colt? How come you're taking my car? Ah, oh, well, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay, then take it away. Hmm. So they said the Lord has need of him, and then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and then they sat Jesus on him, and as he went, many spread their clothes on the road, and as they were now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called him from the crowd, saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus is going from the Mount of Olives, which overlooks the city of Jerusalem, and he's traveling down a road that if you go there today, you will find is still there. There are a few spots in the Holy Land that are not, well, we think it happened around here. There's a number of spots where they know, no, it was right here, and Jesus walked on these same steps up to the temple on this same road. Had the opportunity to walk from there down to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then from there, right into the gates of the city. And as they enter the gates with praise, that's what we call Palm Sunday. People began to throw their clothes down. They put palm branches off. They laid them in the road. And when, we were, when I was a little kid and we made little palm branches in Sunday school, they didn't tell us that that was a, a nationalistic sign for the nation of Israel and, and so they're pretty excited because a king's coming to liberate us, and Rome's all watching this to see what's going on. And they're pretty excited, and as you'll find out, some people didn't even know why they were there. So Hosanna means save, we pray. This praise is to express honor and, and glory to, to God. And uh, when, they, when they praise God, when they worship him, that's the most loving thing God could do. Because we were made for worship, but only God is able to be worshipped. So God says, tell you what, best thing I can do for you, you worship me. Don't worship anything else, don't worship idols, don't worship any other person, you worship me. Some people say, well, is it because God's ego? No, 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 because God doesn't get changed by worship, we get changed by worship. It's the same principle of honor. 
You don't become an honorable person by receiving honor. You become an honorable person by giving honor. So honor your mother and your father. Yeah, but you don't know my mother and father. It's got nothing to do with them. It's got everything to do with you. Yeah, but we're supposed to forgive. Yeah, but they don't deserve to be forgiven. It's, forgiveness is not about the other person. Forgiveness is about setting you free from a prison, regardless of what another person chooses to do or the choices they make in life. And praise has everything to do, and worship has everything to do with worshiping a God who does not change when we worship, but we change when we worship. We change when we praise. Psalm 118, verse 24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a messianic passage. This is really talking about and prophesying about Jesus and the Messiah. And he says, this is the day, because that's what faith always is. Faith is never past or present. Faith is now. It's not about I had faith for something in the past. It's not about I have faith for the future. When you have what you pray for, what you already have it, you don't need faith. You need faith while you're standing and believing God for the manifestation of it. So he said, this is that day. And this is what's going on as he enters into this path of praise on Palm Sunday. You know, we're going to worship. A lot of people want worship. They want fame and fortune, but they can't handle it. Few can handle the adoration of people because we weren't made to. We were made to worship, but not to be worshiped. So you see all kinds of lives that are falling away, people in prime that have taken their lives because they can't handle the pressure that gets put on them, but it's a very pressure that they were looking for. They just didn't know what it would cost them. In Matthew's account of this same story, Matthew chapter 21, we see Jesus at this point going into the temple. It says in uh, Matthew 21, verse 12, And Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturning the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Now, they were meeting a genuine need because when people travel from a distance, uh, rather than bringing the animals for the sacrifice, they would bring money and then they would, they would be able to buy their sacrifices and then they can convert them. Nothing wrong with that except these money changers were ripping people off and it was about them uh, making money off of the people as opposed to serving the people. And so Jesus, the first thing he does is he, he purifies the temple. It, it makes, he calls it a, a house of what? Pure, purity because he says, you've made it a house of thieves, but it's called to be a house of prayer. For it can be a house of prayer has become a house of purity. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And it says, and then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And we see that there's a release of power, so now there's a house of power. And the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, crying out, Hosanna to the son of David. We see praise. House of purity, house of prayer, house of power, and a house of praise. They were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said, yes, have you never read? <laughs> Can you hear the people praising? He says, yes, have you never read? Of course, they should have read because that was their vocation. That was their pursuit. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you perfected praise. Well, Testament says strength, but this is a better translation of it. They say is, is Praise. It's interesting to see that as Jesus speaks to them about praise, that this praise, this path of praise would lead 
to the cry of criticism a week later. The most amazing thing about Jesus, my Savior, your Savior, my Lord, your Lord, is that Jesus knew everything that was going to happen to him ahead of time, and he still obeyed the will of the Father. There's a lot of things that happen, and, you know, wow, I didn't expect that was going to happen. You ever, you ever said that? Well, I didn't see this coming, you know. And I often went, oh, boy, if I, if I knew that, and then I thought about it, and I thought, well, if I knew that, then I would not have done this. <laughs> and, and I would not have obeyed God many times because if I saw what was coming, I would have said, thanks, but no thanks. So God kind of knows what we need to know and what we don't need to know. And if he doesn't show us, then we don't need to know. And it's better for us if we don't know. And if he shows us, then we need to know that too because there was a time when Paul was going to go into Jerusalem and it was revealed by a prophet and then some, uh, some other prophetic people as well that, you know, he was going to get arrested. But it wasn't so he wouldn't go. It was so he could be prepared to know, don't be shocked and surprised when they arrest you and they tie you up. It's part of the plan. <laughs> How exciting. <laughs> See, we don't always want to know what we don't know. But we always want to trust and have faith. See, many people were sincere in their worship that day, but they allowed other people to drown out their praise a week later. The voices were not heard. The voice of the many prevailed, and the loudest voices are not always the right voices. So what drowns out our praise? Voice of insecurity? It makes us self-centered. It makes us think about what we can't do ourselves. Some in a, in a worship service, you know, where we're singing, some people say, well, I can't sing. Well, it's, not, it's not about that. See, I have a theory about worship in church, and that is that God's a lot like a parent of a little um, preschooler. You ever been to a preschooler, um, little concert, and they sing Sometimes together, sometimes on key, sometimes not. And everybody cheers wildly like they're down at Roy Thompson Square. I think that's how God hears. I think God hears in perfect pitch. You might not sing in perfect pitch, but I think God hears in perfect pitch. I think he hears whatever your voice sounds like when you holler out, shout, or you just say, thank you, Jesus. I think God hears it as perfect praise. I think God, you have to get past this voice of insecurity, though, about making it about ourselves. It's the voice of criticism, perhaps, that quiets our voice and shouts us down. None of us like to get criticized, but all of us will get criticized. Jesus knew what it was like to be praised one day, the whole city praising him and knowing that a week later they're going to cry out, crucify him. He knew that ahead of time and still said yes. The voice of disapproval that intimidates us to keep us down, maybe intimidates on purpose, it's okay to be spontaneous down at the Rogers Center, but, you know, not in church. No, 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 no. We, we, we are reminded about what we're doing. We can't even remember who won what game last year, but we know who won at the cross. We know who won when the tomb opened up. We know why it's death to death, but life to us. We, we understand chains that are broken off. We understand Waymaker. We understand that, and we must let our praise shut down our problem rather than our problem shut down our praise. The voice of our peers, pressure reducing our passion. You know, what are they going to think? It's not the one we have to worry about. What about our God? What, is, what does he think? 
It's not the same as someone, well, you know, my heart is for you. There's a difference between somebody, you know, saying I love you and thinking I love you. Well, you know I love you. Yeah, yeah, but tell me again. <laughs> we, we don't mind hearing it again, and, and God doesn't mind hearing it again, but when we say it to God, it's not about him. It's really about us needing to say it again. It's an act of worship. What about the voice of our culture that makes it not popular for us? That we should be quiet here, reserved, mind our own business, but we can shout other places. No, we shout with revelation. We shout because we get some things. We understand some things because our lives have been changed. Because we're not where we would have been otherwise. Because we are survivors, we're thrivers, and we're living the resurrected life. Because when life says everything's hopeless, the, the empty tomb says there's still hope. There's always still hope. Jesus knew those who were offering up Real, sincere praise. In fact, you know, John chapter 4, verse 23, the woman at the well, Jesus says, you know, God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth, in sincerity and truthfulness. Jesus knows when our hearts are for him and it's real and that's what he's looking at. He's looking at our, our hearts and are they really expressing, I'm really grateful. I may be confused and I may not understand some other things and I may have questions and that never intimidates God. But in our heart, have we expressed, God, we are so grateful, so thankful that you've taken us from here out of darkness into light, chains that were bound. I had to live that way before. I don't have to live that way now. I can live in freedom because of what you have done for me. That our lips are not expressing something that our heart is not initiating. Worship and praise is all about our heart initiating a praise and a, and a worship and a gratitude and, and a gratefulness. And Palm Sunday is everything about real worship and a heart of worship and consistently worshiping God in our lives. And yes, we'll go through the path of praise when people are, you know, good job, good job. And, you know, one of my fathers in the faith said, you know, we, we, we all like a pat on the back. He says, you just can't ever afford to need a pat on the back or you perform for it. Real worship, real worship to God that can stand the cries of criticism along the route. But we serve a risen Savior. And we can't be moved by the praise of men or the criticism of men. But the praise of our God will keep us through the criticism of people. And we'll remind ourselves that we have hope because we have a Savior that's risen and is alive and ever lived to make intercession for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. We are grateful for all you have done. We are grateful today and our hearts are full. Father, we meet our problems with praise today knowing that you are greater than any problem. We meet our challenges with praise knowing that Jesus is the forerunner of our faith and has gone everywhere we need to go and made provision for us already. And we say yes today, to you today as, you, as we worship in spirit and in truth. And as we stand before you, we say, Lord, you are our God and we are your people. And you have done that. You have initiated it. And you have said that we would be your people. And we are grateful today. And we will enter into the path of praise. We will go through the places of criticism but we will stand as a people 
of faith. In Jesus' name.